Have you ever been on a mission? A mission where you've lost something and you wanted to make sure that you found it because it was valuable to you or um, maybe it was a, something that you, you lost and this mission to find it was because you couldn't imagine yourself living without it. I was um, cleaning the yard one day, and um, there was a storm that had come through, and I was picking up sticks, and I was throwing the sticks in, in the woods, so I'd get a bunch of them, and I'd take them over, and I'd throw them over into the woods. And so I, I picked up this one stick with my left hand, and I threw it into the woods, and my wedding ring flew off with it. Well, I spent the rest of the day and several days beyond that looking for my wedding ring. It's a ring that Terry had given me when we got married. Uh, she placed it on my finger. It had our initials, both of our initials on the inside of it, and um, had the word after our initials forever, and then 143. And if you don't know what 143 is, I'm sure some of you might know, but um, one stands for I, four stands for the four letters of love, and the three stands for the three letters of you. So I'll send her a text sometime and just say 143, and she knows that I'm saying I love you. And so I searched and searched for that ring and could not find it. And, um, and it broke my heart. I had to go online and get another ring. Not quite the same, but at least it's the symbol that I belong to her. Um, and, and so that hurt a lot because I could not fulfill that mission of finding that lost ring. Another story. Several years ago, I was in a movie theater and watching a movie, and when I got home, I realized that I didn't have my wallet with me. Um, and I will tell you, after that, um, I've got a Ridge wallet that I, I keep in my front pocket now, but I used to keep that in my back pocket, my, that wallet. And so I got home and realized that my wallet was missing, and I knew, I, right then I knew, it's in that theater. I bet you it slid out of my pocket, and so I rushed back to the theater, asked for the manager, and here's what she said. Well, you can't go in there and look for it. There's, they're in the middle of a movie. I'll let you go in afterwards. And so I sat in a chair out in the lobby, and I was thinking over and over, somebody's going to see that thing. They're going to pick it up. I will not have my wallet. It's got my ID in it, or driver's license, it's got credit cards, all that stuff. I had $250 worth of cash in there. And, and I will tell you, uh, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money to me, and especially at that time in my life. And so that was going to be some, some bills money. And so I was sweating it out. And after the movie, people started pouring out, and I went into the theater where I was sitting, and sure enough, under the seat that was folded up on the, the floor against the back of that uh, seat was my wallet. You talking about a, 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 just a piece that flew over me. I looked in, everything was there. Nobody had taken anything. 
And it was just a sense of peace that just flowed over me that what was lost, I had found. My whole persona had changed. So with the lost ring, I was brokenhearted. With the found wallet, I was overjoyed. And that tells a little bit about our story today. Jesus is making his final trip into Jerusalem, towards Jerusalem. Uh, It won't be long, and he will be uh, taking his triumphal entry into the city on Palm Sunday, as we call it. And uh, he was traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, making this trip from the north to the south. And he was traveling, and in Instead of passing through Samaria as he had in the past, in in many cases, um, he turned east and went across the Jordan River and then traveled through Perea. And then when he got opposite of Jericho, he crossed back across the Jordan and headed towards the city about six miles from the Jordan. And as he approached the city, there was a blind man outside of the city, and he healed the blind man of his blindness. But not only that, not only that physical healing that took place there, but he spiritually saved him as well. And then Jesus entered into Jericho. He was passing through the city, and he encountered another individual. In fact, This Luke recording of this story, this is the last person, the final record of someone being saved by Jesus until the thief on the cross. And so today's sermon actually begins our final week of 50 Days to Vitality If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, Luke 19, first 10 verses I'll be reading. And of course, this is the story of Zacchaeus. As he entered Jericho and was passing through, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for all you would hold for us today through this, your holy word. And We pray this in your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ never lost. He always kept in view the purpose of his coming to earth. And this was his great mission. Luke 19.10 is the theme verse of Luke's gospel. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus was stating his purpose in response to the crowd. And those that were mumbling, and certainly there was probably some religious leaders that were in the crowd along with them that were following to see what he would say. And they began to grumble and say, this man's going to the house of a sinner, the chief tax collector, this man called Zacchaeus. And Jesus, maybe Luke didn't record it, but maybe he was thinking or could have said precisely, guys, that is exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to the house of this great sinner, and I'm going to eat with him because the Son of Man came to seek and save that, those, everyone that was lost in sin. If you were to take a poll of that day, you would have found that tax collectors were among those that were just, uh, well, not very popular men uh, in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, they were just considered the scum of the earth, and Rome used them for their purpose. But unfortunately, these Jews that became tax collectors also took advantage of their own countrymen, their own Jewish brothers and sisters. And Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but the, he was a chief tax collector, which even added even more to their dis. For this man, each person would have probably said, if I could take someone like Zacchaeus in a back alley, if he lived, lived through it, he would certainly want to seek another occupation. So in light of the hatred for tax collectors and, and so on, it's funny that often, especially in Luke's gospel, tax collectors are mentioned in favor, not in disdain, when it comes to the Lord. Because you remember, the Lord picked the tax collector called Matthew, or Levi, um, as one of his twelve to follow him. And so Jesus had a heart for the lost. He had power to transform them by saving grace. And Zacchaeus's story is no different. Luke tells Zacchaeus' story right after the story of the rich young ruler. And if you remember that story, 
that particular individual walked away from Jesus because it said he was great in wealth and he clung to his riches. And in that story, Jesus said how hard it was for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And you remember the saying, a camel, it's hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But if you read on towards the end of that story, here's what Jesus said. He said, things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And so Zacchaeus' story is, a, is another story of seeing salvation by God through Jesus Christ, this grace and power that Christ offers to us. If you were a follower of Jesus, then follower of Jesus, then his purpose should be your purpose. His purpose should be our purpose. If someone is not a follower of Jesus Christ, then Zacchaeus' story and how he responds is a great image, a great uh, example of how those that Jesus calls and brings to himself should respond. So in our text today, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It is so important for us to understand that particular phrase that Jesus uses and one of his favorite uh, ways to refer to himself. And so in being the Son of Man, he is perfect in humanity. Apart from any sin, he is totally dependent on his Father in heaven. And so the Son of Man emphasizes Jesus' humanity without sin. And as he uses this term, if you continue to read in the Gospels, you will see that he uses it more frequently the closer he gets to the cross. The title in no way dis avows his full divinity. In fact, it affirms it. It affirms his full divinity as Lord. Jesus is referring to the fact that he existed in heaven. He's the son of man descending to earth, and he, became, he came so that he could live, die, be raised, and again ascend to heaven. He came under the authority of the Father as the Son of Man. He came to execute judgment as the Son of Man. He came to forgive sins as the Son of Man. And he used often this in reference to his second coming in glory. So in fact, the fact is that his trial as he was in Jerusalem for the last time the high priest asked Jesus, So, are you the Son of God? And Jesus replied this way, You have said it yourself, nevertheless I tell you, hereafter you shall see, and here he uses Son of Man, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power in heaven, coming on the clouds of glory. 
So he was quoting from Daniel 7, 13 and 14, and applied it to himself, and the high priest's response that day was, you are blaspheming God by this statement. And so in this text, when Jesus uses this reference to himself, he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And he is referring to the second person of the Trinity, the one who took on human flesh, who came to earth to offer himself in the place of sinners. He took our penalty, my penalty on himself, so that we could be saved from the penalty of judgment that we deserve. Think about it. God would not have taken such extreme measures as the incarnation, the death of his own son, if we as lost people were able to save ourselves. They that are lost must be sought. And the only one that can seek and find is Jesus. The Bible is not a story of man seeking God. The Bible is a story of God seeking man. And in our story, Christ seeks the lost by taking the initiative. And you know this, but I want to reiterate it today because in this story, we need to see this from Zacchaeus' standpoint. Christ seeks the lost by taking the initiative. Zacchaeus was not seeking Christ. Christ was seeking Zacchaeus. We are told, not told, uh, he was motivated. We are just told that he was, had heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho. We heard that there was a crowd that was coming. He was small in statue. No, I won't sing the song for you that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, all of you learned that long ago. But um, he fought the crowd, but because he was small, on that day, in his curiosity, he climbed a tree. You know, perhaps he heard that Matthew, a tax collector, had followed Jesus as one of the disciples. Maybe he thought that, look, I know I've done some bad things. Maybe he might take notice of me, but I'm a notorious uh, sinner, and I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to climb the tree, and I'm going to be able to hear or see and hear what he's saying. Maybe there was a glimmer of hope there. We don't know. Maybe Jesus will forgive my sins today. Whatever reason, he was still not seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking him. If there was anything within Zacchaeus that was looking for forgiveness of sins, it's because Jesus had tagged him first. He would not have done this on his own to come to Jesus for forgiveness. So Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus, not the other way around. 
And we know this because Romans 3 tells us none of us are righteous, not even one. There is none who understand. And then listen to what Paul says at the end of that verse 11. There is none who seek after God. He didn't say there's only a few who don't seek after. None seek after God in our fallenness, in our human nature. And then in John 6, Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he repeats a little bit later in the same context, No one can come to me unless it has been granted him or her from the Father. So if Zacchaeus was in the tree seeking Jesus, it was because his Father in heaven was drawing him toward Jesus. So Jesus, he's in the tree and he didn't even get a chance to say anything or respond in any way as Jesus comes by. The crowds around him, he is, Jesus is steadfast on his journey to the cross, but the Lord takes the initiative. The Lord looks up into the tree and sees Zacchaeus and says, hurry down for today, I must... I must stay with you in your house. Jesus seeking after Zacchaeus. Spurgeon says this about this verse. He says, Christ does not leave to it, it to ourselves to seek him, or else we would be left out indeed. For so vile is the human nature that although heaven is offered and though hell thunders in our ears, yet there never was, there never will be any man who, unconstrained by sovereign grace, will run in the way of salvation and so escape from hell and flee to heaven. You see, it is God who seeks us. It is God, by his grace and his sovereignty, in his kindness, in his love, he initiates, he initiates us in coming to him for salvation. Secondly, we see that Christ seeks the lost personally and particularly in this story. We don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Maybe it was from, you know, being divine in nature as he was, or maybe someone along the way when he saw Zacchaeus in the trees told him his name. What we do know that there was a great crowd, and Jesus singled him out, singled him out, this little man that climbed up into a tree. There could have been others in trees that day that had boys that had climbed up to see Jesus by you. But this tax collector, this chief tax collector on this occasion, Jesus singled out. Not only just calling to him, but calling to him by name. Jesus never 
just called the masses and assumed that maybe there were a few that would hear his voice and come. Jesus personally and individually and particularly called individuals to come to him. You remember Peter and Andrew were called them to follow him. James and John were with their father in the boat, and they left their father in the boat and followed him. Matthew was sitting, collecting taxes, going about his duty, and Jesus said, follow me, called him by name. This name calling in this salvation of Jesus is called his effectual calling. In other words, he knows who the Lord has given him, who his Father has given him, and he calls them by name. And he has called you and I by name. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him, he has literally called your name, come to me. Salvation refers to God's rescuing of a perishing soul from eternal wrath and judgment. And because of salvation, our sin is forgiven in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ does not just seek the lost, but he accepts them, he forgives them, he brings them into his family. He seeks and saves them. So this announcement of Zacchaeus, when Jesus says, he stops and he says, today salvation has come to this house, he actually is telling Zacchaeus, son, you are now part of the family. You are a part of my family. There's three things here in the text that we can see about Jesus and how Jesus is saving us. First, Christ actually saves the lost. In other words, he did not come to make it possible. Christ came that it could actually happen. It's not just the possibility that you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. If God calls you, you actually will be forgiven. It is Jesus who saves the lost. In John 6, 37, Jesus declares, All that the Father gives me shall come to me. There is no ambiguity there. And then he adds this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise them up on the last day. That is pretty concrete. If God has called you, you are not going to be lost by him. If he has come to seek and save the lost, you will be found. When Jesus told Zacchaeus that he must stay in his house, it was a divine necessity that he would be there, that Zacchaeus 
would be saved that day. It is the same must that's in John 4, 4, and you hopefully maybe remember that story. It says that Jesus must pass through Samaria. And that story where he had to, he must go through Samaria. Do you remember why? Because he had an appointment, a divine appointment with a woman, a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And that woman's life was changed because of that divine appointment when they questioned Jesus, the disciples, why would you go through Samaria, Lord? I must go through. He didn't tell them up front, but he had that divine appointment. Secondly, Christ saves the lost, not the found. You say, well, that sounds odd. Well, it's really good news because, you see, we are sinners who were lost, and Christ found us as believers. The words are in the Gospels and especially Paul's writings, lost, sinner, ungodly, says that God is seeking after those, the lost, the sinner, the ungodly. But we have those that separate themselves and say, Hey, I'm not lost. I'm found. I don't need Christ. I'm not a sinner. I've never done anything. I don't believe in that or I won't do that or Christ is never going to be my Savior because I'm not lost. I know better. I'm not one of the ungodly. And those that separate themselves from Christ... Well, they're lost, but they won't be found because those that are separated from Christ are going to be separated from Christ in eternity. Zacchaeus had been called by the Holy Spirit of God to come into this relationship with his son, and in this story, we see that it is Christ who saves. It is Christ who assures those who are saved that they are his. And so Christ, whom he saves, is never lost. In that today salvation has come to this house, that phrase, cynicism, and he too is a son of Abraham. And Jesus is not talking about Though he is a descendant, he is a Jew. So from the um, family standpoint of heredity, yes, he is a Jew from descendant of Abraham. But Jesus is more importantly saying, look, you are now a, a part of the family of God. You are now a part of all that Abraham stood for as he was faithful and served God you are now, too, a son of Abraham. And it was important for him to say that because of those that were around, especially the Jewish officials, the synagogue officials, because in that he was saying, look, this guy who you despise, this guy who you are calling a sinner, this guy is actually 
a son of Abraham. Not just by birth, but because he belongs to the family. In Galatians 3, 7, Paul put it this way. It is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. It is those who are sons of Abraham. And so Jesus used this, this phrase to kind of get that out in front of those religious leaders that was there. This man that was ungodly, unrighteous, and a sinner had now received salvation. Salvation that Jesus proclaimed before the crowd gave him assurance of his forgiveness. Can you imagine once Jesus left Jericho what all might have been said about Zacchaeus and him coming to faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he was the Messiah who was prophesied about? Can you imagine what Satan was doing with Zacchaeus? Oh, you think you're a follower of Jesus. Wait until that money is gone or that greed begins to, to creep in. Wait until I tempt you of all the money you had and now you're going to disperse that. I'm sure even the crowd taunted him as he professed faith in Jesus. But there was nothing that was going to separate him from Christ. Paul puts it this way. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. The one who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather was raised. Who is raised to the right hand and intercedes on our behalf. And then you finish that chapter 8 of Romans. And he says... Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there is the assurance that Jesus gave Zacchaeus. You are mine. Part of my family. So here's the question in closing. If this story means anything to us, if we get anything out of the story of Jesus calling this man Zacchaeus, who was a sinner, to salvation in his name, and if salvation is totally of God, are we to sit back and do nothing? That's the question. In the great mission of God, and God's great mission through Jesus Christ was to come and seek to save the lost, and it is Christ who does that, is there any part that we play? Is there any reason that we would do anything besides just worship and glorify God? And clearly the answer is, we are called. We are called, even commanded, to be instruments to the lost. This is the mission of us individually and corporately, that we are to be instruments of the great mission of the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example of what that means. There was a young salesperson who 
had just a disappointing day. He had lost this big sale, and as he came back into work and saw his sales manager, he lamented and he said, I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, Son, take my advice. Your job is not to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. We do not save anyone. But by living out our life, by sharing our story, our story of Christ's story that transformed and changed our life, we become on mission with God. He has called us to be a part of it. And we can't ignore it. I was talking to Bruce this morning uh, as he was coming in and getting set up, and I said, you know, this 50 days to vitality, this text itself, calls us to have a heart for the lost. And, And if we don't have a heart for the lost, then we need to examine ourselves. But Christ does the saving, yes. No one is going to be lost that is part of God's elect, yes. But he has called you and I to be a part of this seeking and saving the lost as he calls us into relationship with him. It is his will and his purpose for his kingdom and his church. We cannot and never push that away and say it's someone else's job. And I pray that it will not ever be that for us individually or corporately. The great mission of the church is still important today and probably ever important today in the state of the church and where the church is in mission in the world. We have to be a part of God's mission. We have to be a part and have a heart for the lost. That is why Jesus said he came, to seek and save the lost. And folks, we've got to be a part, fully a part of that mission that he has called us to. And no less. May it be so in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, what a story that you have given us in Scripture as you inspired Luke to write this story as they journeyed through Jericho. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for that final time. He calls this sinner to salvation just like he called us to salvation. First, Father, thank you for the grace and mercy you showed us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us into your family and calling us by name. Father, today I pray that as a church called Hope, 
as each individual here or online or those that may view this worship service later. I pray, Father, that we would take inventory of ourselves. Do we have a heart for the lost? Is it important to us in any way that there are lost people that you want us to share the gospel with? Father, I pray that we would take it seriously. I pray, Father, that we would look for every opportunity that you give us to be your hands and feet in a lost world. May it be so, in Jesus' name, amen.